This is Kylie Zempel, Assistant Editor at The Federalist. I'm a 2017 alumna of the TFAS program in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to the Liberty and Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Roger Ream, and this is the Liberty and Leadership Podcast, a conversation with TFAS alumni who are making a real impact in politics, public policy, government, business, philanthropy, law, and the media. Today, I'm excited to welcome Joe Lai, a 2001 alumnus of the TFAS Economics and Public Policy Program and a member of the inaugural class of TFAS Public Policy Fellows in 2007. Joe first came to D.C. to participate in the TFAS program during his undergraduate career at the University of California at Berkeley. He later earned a Master's of Arts from Yale University. Joe is a principal at BGR Government Affairs, where he focuses on commerce, financial services, international trade, and defense issues. An expert on Senate rules and procedures, Joe served at the White House as a special assistant to the President for Legislative Affairs from 2017 to 2019. Prior to joining the White House, Joe worked in the U.S. Senate for more than a decade, most recently as Legislative Director for Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi. Joe was elected in 2020 to serve on the TFAS Board of Regents. Welcome to the show, Joe. Great. Good to be with you. Well, let me begin, if I could, uh, from how you first heard about TFAS when you were a student back at Berkeley. What brought it to your attention? Well, Roger, I was just thinking about this when I was in the car heading over here, and uh, it's great to be with you in person after uh, so many months. Um, I did TFAS back in uh, 2001. And that was the summer before 9-11. And if you think about all the, uh, all the developments in terms of uh, uh, technology and things, that was before the advent of the iPhone. So we were still using little flip phones at the time. And I was, uh, I was a sophomore in, uh, in college. And one day I was just thinking about, what am I going to do this summer? And I just went to my computer. It was like a, you know, a desktop at the time. And... I went to like you know a commonly used search engine. This is before Google was, existed, so I went to Yahoo and punched in summer internships, Washington D.C. into Yahoo at the time, and TFAS was the first link on the search results. And I think I think if we, I think we all were already using the Live, Learn, and Intern yeah. already at the time, and I clicked on it. I had no idea what TFAS was. I was just looking for a Washington D.C. internship. And clicked on it, and that's how I got started on uh, on a journey that's uh, been a uh, over the last uh, uh, twenty plus years uh, in terms of my career. It changed my life that one night when I decided to go on to Yahoo to do a search for summer internships. And to to give you a little bit of context about who I was way back then when I was when I was uh, twenty one years old, just turned twenty one. Uh, my parents were immigrants from uh, from Hong Kong. Um, I'm the first to go to. Uh, to uh, college, let alone high school, graduate, mm-hmm. wow. and in that in that process, um, I had no idea about how anything really worked in Washington or in the United States. I studied it, I knew it from the textbooks, had no idea that it was like a completely different universe in Washington. And it was that uh, it was that summer for TFAS that really transformed my life. Well, you talk about finding us on a Yahoo search browser. It was a search engine. It was uh, interesting because not. Long before 2001, I recall a woman in my office coming in and telling me there's something out there called the World Wide Web, <laughs> and we needed to get a website. 
And uh, we were at the time using T, instead of TFAS, we're using FAS to describe ourselves, but FAS.org had been taken. So we adopted TFAS and we mm-hmm. captured the website dcinternships.org, which yeah, really helped yeah. us in terms of coming up first that. in a search engine. I so it was fortuitous for us that we you found us and came our way because <laughs> you've been a, not only were you a great student in the program, but you've been a, just an outstanding volunteer for us as well over the years. Well, uh, is there any, interesting that you said you were the first in, of your generation in your family, of, of your, in your family to have gone to high, graduate from high school go to a great school like Berkeley and then on to get a master's in Yale. Uh, what was that like to be the trendsetter for your family and going yeah, to college? Yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, it. a lot of people ask me uh, that question, um, especially as they get to know me. And I like to tell a story, but my mom was a, is, a, is a tiger mom. And uh, I remember um, when I first started at the, uh, at the White House uh, uh, during my time there, uh, I called my mom right before Inauguration Day. And I told my mom, uh, I was like, mom, 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 I'm going to work at the White House um, for the president. And she's like, oh, that's great. Well, let me know one day when uh, when you get to uh, meet the president and uh, get back to me. And then a couple <laughs> weeks later, I talked to uh, I talked to my mom, called my mom. And I was like, mom, 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 I got to meet the president. And he knows my name now. And he says, hi, when I walk down the hall, he remembers me. He's like, okay, well, that's good. Well, let me know when you get to ride in the motorcade with him. And then I called her, you know, told mom I got to ride in a motorcade. And she's like, oh, that's well. Well, let me know, you know, when you ever get to ride on uh, Air Force One. And uh, finally, I, I called her once from, uh, from my first flight on Air Force One, which is a rite of passage for everybody where you, you pick up the phone and the operator uh, gets your name and the number and they call your mom for you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, the, and then the operator says, uh, you know, please hold for, uh, you know, Joseph Lai calling from, uh, from Air Force One. So I got connected for my mom on Air Force One. I was like, Mom, I'm calling from Air Force One. And she's like, there's a little silence on the phone. And she's just like, when are you going to get married and settle down? <laughs> so um, in short, I'm just saying. Still you know, waiting for that There's call, a lot right? of high expectations from uh, from uh, immigrant upbringing where my, uh, my parents came to the U.S. in the late 70s and, uh, you know, with, with essentially nothing. And and built a very successful small business, and um, it's that uh, constant uh, search for uh, new challenges, expansion, um, intellectual growth um, that's really uh, propelled me to pursue my career in Washington. Uh, let me ask you one other thing: You did our inaugural public policy fellows program when you were fairly early in your mm-hmm. career. It was a little different program then than it is now, but you did that with about fifteen other alumni of our programs. Uh, it was intended to help with career advancement and leadership. Uh, could you reflect a little on that experience? Yeah, I think TFAS is all about bringing bringing people together, uh, bringing uh, uh, lifelong uh, relationships, getting everything started there. And it was during our first conference uh, as a as a fellow um, that I met some of my closest friends today. Um, I think of uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Peter Feldman, who's now a commissioner at the uh, Consumer uh, Product Safety Commission, CPSC. Um, very, very good personal friend of mine. I met him during that that summer and engaging in the workshops that we did um, in Washington, D.C., Annapolis, and elsewhere. Uh, now you chose to uh, begin your career going on Capitol Hill and working for a number of senators and on a number of different issues. But uh, you know, there's concern around the country, obviously, and you see it all the time that Congress doesn't function very well, that it's not only a, the partisan divides, which have always been there, but it just seems like power has shifted more and more to the executive branch, to the uh, 
you know, the agencies running the show, but you were able to accomplish some things in the Senate, but could you reflect on kind of your experience there and, and whether you think Congress could improve the way it operates? Yeah, I think, uh, Roger, I think that's a great, great question, especially amid everything that's going on in society and what's on the news, uh, news today. Um, I, I fundamentally believe that our founding fathers knew what they were doing uh, when creating three separate branches of government, co-equal. And uh, Capitol Hill continues to uh, uh, perform that, that function there in terms of robust oversight, uh, controlling the purse strings most of the time. Um, and uh, and uh, ensuring um, that we get we get laws passed and uh, when 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 we need to, um, you're absolutely right. In in the last uh, you know 100 150 years, uh, the executive branch has gained uh, gained a lot of power, um, but Congress has always been there uh, acting on behalf of the American people to pre, uh, to keep the executive branch in check. And I do believe that uh, that will continue. You made a decision uh, to go work in the executive branch. Was that out of a sense of uh, kind of frustration or just, hey, here's an opportunity to really make a lasting difference through the policies that you could work on in the White House because you were in the legislative affairs area? Going into 2016, 2017, I'd spent about uh, 15 years uh, working working on and off Capitol Hill. And I saw an opportunity to serve in, uh, in January of uh, 2017. Uh, and when I got the call um, um, that um, that the president had wanted me to come aboard his team, I felt that a, a compelling um, uh, motivation to serve. We had a president who, uh, at that point, uh, um, had a mandate from the American people, but had did not have deep relationships with uh, with uh, uh, leading uh, Republican members of the Senate, Democratic members of the Senate, and uh, based on the, my uh, my personal contacts and experience on Capitol Hill, I felt that I was uh, going to be in a good position to help be a liaison, a bridge between Senate uh, Senate Republicans, Senate Democrats, and and a president. It wasn't always the easiest job. There are a lot of uh, misunderstandings. Uh, some things uh, um, uh, could have been handled a little bit uh, better uh, on on uh, on both uh, both ends of uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. But I'm really proud of the things that. Uh, um, I helped uh, uh, the last administration accomplish everything from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, uh, renegotiating and making the uh, the NAFTA agreement better, which ended up as the uh, the USMCA, the US uh, Mexico Canada agreement. Now, the the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, looking back in t- hindsight, now that obviously spurred just tremendous economic growth in our country. Uh, we saw growth rates go up uh, considerably. Uh, impacted uh, federal revenues and the deficit uh, and, you know, has us in a much better position today, even though we're seeing a slowdown in inflation. Uh, what was that like? Who, who, what was the key to successfully getting that enacted? Yeah, one of the greatest pleasures and honors uh, during my time at the White House was working with real economic legends out there. Everybody from uh, Larry Kudlow, uh, Gary Cohn um, and uh, members of the National Economic Council, Council of Economic Advisors, and many of these uh, individuals, especially some of the academics, they were the same individuals that came into lecture at TFAS when I was a student uh, 20, 21 years ago. Um, so it was just uh, I was just living the dream there, just uh, interacting with uh, all of these great, you know, just uh, great uh, economic free market pro growth legends out there. I think about Art Laffer. 
um, and spending time and talking to him and getting advice from him on how to explain free market economics to um, people on Capitol Hill. Yeah, Art Laffer has been someone we've had come speak to our students, and he's always he's very good and very entertaining at the same time. And he's he's, he really he's incredible. Stuff. He's incredible, and I just remember yeah. uh, you lining up so many great speakers yeah. um, during my summer at TFAS and in yeah. subsequent conferences, and uh, and it's been stuck with me all these all these years. Now uh, it was just a few years ago at our annual dinner we had Senator Dan Sullivan there as uh, the recipient of our. Congressional Leadership Award, and you were kind enough to present that to him at the dinner. Uh, and I was so impressed with him. It was the first time I'd met Senator Sullivan from Alaska. Uh, quite a background. Uh, How do you get to know him? Yeah, Senator Sullivan um, serves on uh, some key key committees that I was responsible for, especially uh, in terms of economic key economic policies and international trade policies facing facing our country. And I worked really closely with him on a on a daily basis uh, during my time at the White House to make sure that our national security policies, our trade policies, were completely aligned. Uh, since Alaska plays a pivotal role in uh, the Asia Pacific region, yeah, yeah. Well, it was great having you participate and present the award to him at our dinner. It's always wonderful to have an alum of our program do something. It was, like that. It was absolutely my pleasure. And yeah. Senator Sullivan has this uh, this great background that I think all United States senators uh, absolutely need, which is he served in the military. He understands the national security side. He uh, went to uh, some incredible universities and has that intellectual basis. And I was also a business leader himself. Um, so having that full, um, that full experience, I thought uh, uh, make, makes him a very, very strong leader. And uh, I think uh, also, as well as uh, uh, his commitment to uh, free markets, individual liberty and the rule of law, those, those three things just make him a, a, a great leader, and I hope that uh, TFAS can continue that relationship with him going yeah. forward. Well, those are those you mentioned uh, core values we teach: individual liberty, uh, the rule of law, free market economics, uh, all all of which lead to human flourishing. Uh, could we talk a little bit about leadership? You've had the chance in your career to work with some great leaders. You're, you yourself have been in a leadership position so many times. What kind of Things do you think make for a good leader that you've seen in your career? I think leadership means being honest about the truth, um, uh, honest about facts, and uh, being able to communicate that to the people you're working for, you're advising. And um, uh, I think about uh, Lee Atwater, the uh, the mm-hmm. great political legend, had this uh, had this phrase. He said, "I want allies. I don't want flunkies. I don't want people just to say yes." And when everybody says yes because they're scared of the boss, that's that's not a good thing. Um, and in my time on Capitol Hill um, and at the White House, uh, strong leaders actually want to hear um, contrary opinions. They want to hear what people actually think. Uh, so I think one of the uh, the surest signs of leadership is being confident in yourself to tell the truth, tell tell people what they think when they're asking you for your opinion. When you're asking me for my opinion about something, I'm going to tell you what I think, not what I th- think you want to hear. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a saying, you know, fake it till you make it, which I think is just an awful, <laughs> awful expression for how to get ahead in, in your career and that really, you know, studying and learning and obtaining knowledge is, is the way to to be a, a you know, Roger, I was just, I was just thinking about this, uh, you know, in my time, in my time at the White House, um, 
you know, you have to think about um, the time, the age you're living in. Um, you have to put yourself in a historical context. Um, there's no backstop. There's nobody who's going to be cleaning up your mistakes uh, when you're giving your opinion um, to your boss on a matter. It may be in a lower level meeting or a mid level meeting, but there's no backstop. There's nobody to hide behind, and that's that's when you have to step up and you have to really think about where am I? Where am I in history? Where am I relative to all the fundamental principles that? Uh, um, that I believe in that brought me to Washington. Those are the things that used I used uh, that used to go through my mind all the time, and it's a really humbling feeling. Did Did you have the opportunity in school to study history? I was I was that? a history major. Okay, I um, wasn't aware of that. And yeah. when I um, uh, I thought I was going to be a history professor all my uh, all my life, uh, including uh, my my graduate school uh, days at at Yale. And quickly I realized that everything I wanted to write about was already written, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I ended up uh, coming coming to Washington to uh, pursue the path path of uh, public policy instead. Well, well, at least your your background in history is what has uh, helped you be that kind of leader who understands where they are at that particular time. Getting a little more into this idea of leadership, uh, you know, in the challenges you've faced in your career, to sit, you know, you obviously had decisions to make of moving from one office to another, one from the Congress to the White House. You know what kind of advice do you give young people? The students in our program now, there. I had I had lunch with six students yesterday, who when asked, you know, kind of what you want to get out of the summer. For all six, it had something to do with trying to come to a better understanding of what career to pursue. Uh, they were interested. In inter- these students were interested in international affairs, but they weren't sure. Do I want to go into a career in intelligence or diplomacy or a private sector organization, public service? You know, how, how would you advise young people who are, uh, you know, facing those decisions in the coming few years as to how to go about pursuing a kind of career in, in government or public service or in those fields? Yeah, um, you know, fundamentally, Roger, I think you taught me this uh, during you, – you probably don't remember this, but you gave the welcome speech um, on my first day when we moved into the old Georgetown campus, and you talked about getting out there, not having lunch alone, um, meeting people, always asking uh, asking people for advice, asking them who else to talk to, and expanding your network. And then when you meet those people that, uh, 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 that you've recommended to me, I'm going to ask them who else I should talk to. So I think it's that constant growth of your network and uh, asking questions about – um, how did you get here? What are the lessons learned? What le- uh, what lessons do you have for me? I think that question process, that intellectual curiosity, is is the biggest uh, piece of advice that I can encourage uh, young people now to think about: is to get be out and about, not to sit in their rooms, just not sitting just in front of their computer all day, getting out and networking face to face, human to human, um, and that's going to get you all the core knowledge and all the facts and all the context for you to make the right decisions. Well, I, I think you've touched on something, Joe, that's uh, very important. And our, our theme at TFAS recently has really focused on courageous leadership, but you really have to break that down. And I do think curiosity is a big part of that of, you know, we still, I, I don't remember saying it in the orientation speech in 2001, but it's something we emphasize this year at our orientation is, is be curious. You know, if you're at a, reception or a dinner with, and you, let's say you sit down at a table with strangers for dinner, it's pretty quickly 
determined who's curious and who isn't at that table by the questions that are asked and the conversation. And so we do encourage students all the time to be curious. So I'm glad you're, you're offering curiosity, that Curiosity means asking questions. It's not just about talking about yourself. It's asking questions, but being an excellent listener yeah. and, engage, and, and processing uh, all the data, all the people that you're, you're meeting. It's uh, that, that networking um, um, skill that has to be developed. It's like a muscle. You have to keep developing it and you have to get out there. Um, that's just uh, so valuable. And uh, I think TFAS really taught me about that, especially through our fellows program in terms of some of the professional development skills and, uh, and techniques that, uh, uh, that the fund provided. Love this expression that I once heard from uh, someone who said, God designed us with two ears and one mouth, and we should use them proportionally. And I tell that to students. You know, you learn a lot more from listening than to hearing yourself talk. You're uh, now with BGR uh, Government Relations, uh, have probably a variety of clients and focused on the key issue areas. I mentioned earlier, international trade, financial affairs. Uh, what is that like, leaving you know the Hill and public service, working for a, a company that's trying to help uh, their clients uh, kind of navigate the various hurdles and regulatory barriers and challenges of public policy in Washington. I'm really proud of my uh, my time at BGR. I left the White House in 2019 and joined a BGR group uh, um, that fall. And uh, at BGR today, um, I work with uh, U.S. companies, international companies to help create a pro-growth economic environment in the U.S. That's about uh, fostering entrepreneurship, innovation, um, and and just uh, capital formation, getting things done out there. And uh, um, those are, if you really think about those core things, uh, it really goes back to uh, um you know some uh, academic, uh, some of the academic uh, uh, foundations that we we learned uh, as students at the fund, which was free market economics, the rule of law, a predictable, transparent regulatory system. Um, those core principles, I still expound those today as a private sector consultant. Yeah, well, um, it, in 1990, the fund. For American Studies started a institute on it was called an institute then, but it's a program now in business and government affairs. Mm. And it was in part the people that started it uh, were responding to the fact that lobbying, of course, was a dirty word, uh, but it's mostly because of a connotation that isn't really fair. That lobbying is really providing information uh, to lawmakers. I know members of Congress who've told our students. Lobbyists perform a very important task of providing information so they can make informed votes. And, uh, you know, they can sort through whether information they're getting is heavily biased in one direction or another. But, you know, I still think, you know, we haven't overcome this bias that lobbying is is, is a terrible thing. Do you yeah, the, encounter that? Yeah, the days of the dark, smoky rooms where there are back deals and over over a, a, a cocktail, those, those days are long gone. I would say the value of private sector consultants like like me, advocates like me today is demystifying what's going on in Washington. We just talked about the executive branch. The executive branch has regulations and processes that are not transparent, that people don't understand at all outside of DC. Sometimes I don't even understand them. And somebody's have to somebody has to explain that to a job creator in Silicon Valley. 
um, to a uh, to a manufacturing company in uh, in New Hampshire or Ohio. Somebody has to explain that to these uh, to all these uh, you know small business, medium sized business, and big businesses that have to make uh, decisions on massive investments and how to grow. Uh, when they don't understand what's going on in Washington, where sometimes you have unelected officials and processes that aren't uh, fully published and transparent. So that's what I see my job as demystifying Washington um, for for people outside of the Beltway. One area that you've focused on and you worked on successfully in the White House was the area of international trade. Uh, that is kind of an area that really interests me. And I've always been a strong kind of unabashed free trader and believing that trade benefits this country uh, and and benefits the world and raises living standards around the world. But it has been a challenging issue for, you know, maybe the last five or six years. Uh, other, you know, many people have been quick to try to promote economic growth through creating barriers to trade. But where do you think we are on that issue of international trade and a belief in free trade? Or do you see us still moving away from that and toward being a more protectionist country after many decades of kind of being the role model for, for free international trade. When I was first uh, a student at TFAS, so at that summer of 2001, it was the beginning of the Bush, uh, the Bush uh, administration. We had just finished uh, the, uh, the Clinton eight years of the Clinton administration where uh, there was a commitment to globalization um, um, and free markets that crossed from a Democratic administration into a Republican administration at the time. And what we see today is uh, uh, more of a, a popular a popular backlash I, that I believe still continues. And it's it's up to uh, it's up to us uh, as as champions for free markets um, to be able to eff- effectively explain um, how free markets make for free people. And it's 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 a it's a real it's a real challenge. And I think uh, what you're doing here at the fund is just so critical to uh, to forcing. Uh, uh, some of these young young minds of today to really be exposed to newer newer ideas, and uh, what I mean by that, and I know this personally, when I was a, a TFAS student, I came in with no uh, with no real ideological bent. I wasn't a free market person. I wasn't uh, any person. I was just a person who wanted an internship in Washington D.C. who found you on on Yahoo, yeah. and through my time at at TFAS and in subsequent uh, leadership programs. I became. I really understood what free markets mean. I understood what free markets mean uh, relative to socialism, uh, what that meant to economic growth in uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe after World War II, um, what that means to uh, the incredible uh, economic miracle in uh, in South Korea um, after the Korean War. Um, so. That's what motivates me today. Um, that's what I hope that future generations of students at TFAS will understand and be able to communicate that when they get out into the private sector beyond Washington, D.C. Well, yeah. Well, you'll be happy to hear the students I had lunch with yesterday. They're two weeks into the program this summer, and they were talking about what they were learning and studying in their economics class. And they were talking about having looked at the index of economic freedom and learning that it's ideas and institutions that matter more than, you know, natural resources or the size of the population or technology in terms of determining whether a country's prosperous or not. So they're still focused on, you know, those issues internationally. And, you know, I, I, I feel in, in a way uh, the, the generation 
before me and my generation, we grew up with Germany being divided in half between the communists and the free world. And that was just that stark example, like you mentioned, the Korean Peninsula, where you can just see right in front of you, the freer the country, the more prosperous it is, the economic growth. You know, when you read that people in South Korea are several inches taller on average now than people mm -hmm. in North Korea, uh -huh. you look at the satellite map at night and South Korea is this bastion of light and North Korea is in darkness. I mean, those examples are there, but we have to get them in front of students. And I feel like when we do present these things to students, they learn very quickly. Uh, so I, I think it's great that uh, you got those lessons when you did TFAS as well. It stuck with me for 20, 20 plus years, Roger. Now you came from Berkeley uh, and you studied history at Berkeley. You know, Berkeley has a reputation, but you know, we do work with some professors at Berkeley who are solidly for, you know, these ideas of individual liberty, the rule of law and free markets. But I, I'm curious just about your Berkeley experience was overall, you know, you probably learned a lot. It was a good experience. You know, Berkeley is a, it's a, it's a large school. There's a, uh, there's a lot of intellectual diversity there. However, it's easy to get into groupthink uh, out in California. And uh, it was, you know, I came back from my, uh, that summer uh, uh, in Washington, D.C. With, uh, with the fund. And once I got back to D, uh, once I got back to Berkeley, it sort of just, I started asking myself, I didn't really verbalize it to my professors, but I started thinking about ideas a little bit differently. I started thinking about intellectually challenging my professor. I was like, did he get it right about X, Y, and Z? Um, so um, I, I will say that, you know, incredible, I had an incredible experience uh, uh, in California as an undergraduate um, combined with uh, some of the uh, the more uh, refined uh, uh, critical questions that TFAS asked me uh, taught me to ask about myself, um, that ultimately made me a better public policy leader today. Well, I, I appreciate all the credit you're giving to TFAS, but you're obviously were a critical thinker when you came, uh, very intelligent, and uh, you know. So if we played a role in helping spark some of that, you know, that's that's what we hope and we try to do with all the students here this summer is ask, tell them to ask questions, be critical thinkers, don't accept everything you hear uh, uh, at face value. So that's wonderful to hear. What uh, can I ask? You know, one question I'd like to ask as we close these Liberty and Leadership podcasts is similar to, in a way, what we've talked about, but advice you'd give to young people today as they uh, go through school and prepare to enter on a career. And I might, because of what we've already said, put it this way, you know, are you optimistic about the future and the world we've, we'll be leaving our generation will be leaving for future generations. Are you a pessimist? How do you kind of put yourself on that scale? That's a great question, Roger. Um, I was actually just thinking about that the, uh, the other day when I was, uh, uh, going, going to a meeting downtown, um, I was stopped in traffic. I was in a, I was in an Uber, I stopped in traffic and for quite some time, actually, and I was looking across the street. I was like, why are we stopped? And I saw a presidential or vice presidential motorcade roll by. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, you know, how many places are there in the world where, you know, not too long ago, somebody can be inside uh, inside the motorcade with everybody roll, rolling around. And then not too long afterwards, uh, you're uh, you're on the outside just working in the private sector doing doing your thing. And I think that that's just representative of uh, our system does work. Uh, the system does function. It does self-correct over time. That's why I, I'm, I am very optimistic about, uh, about things. Uh, a lot of people will 
have disagreements about whether uh, or not uh, the 2020 election uh, should have gone a certain way or if it was stolen or not stolen. But what we do know is that we have a upcoming midterm election um, this fall that's uh, that's largely reacting to uh, a lot of the uh, economic policies that have been pursued over the last two years. Some, you know, and the and voters will speak on whether or not uh, uh, you know things like energy and, and crime and other things are going to matter. Um, but the process does work, and I think we'll see that this this fall of the midterms, and we'll see that again in twenty twenty four. Well, that was very well said, and I, I, I don't think I can think of anything more we should talk about given that uh, great statement of yours and that optimistic outlook. Uh, my guest today has been Joe Lai of uh, BGRE Government Relations, a TFAS alum from 2001 and a newly elected member of our Board of Regents. I'd like to thank you for joining us. Joe, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for listening to the Liberty and Leadership Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, like, or share the show on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like this episode, I ask you to rate and review it. And if you have a comment or question for the show, please drop us an email at podcast at tfast.org. The Liberty and Leadership Podcast is produced at K-Global Studios in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Roger Reed, and until next time, show courage in things large and small.